Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope that all of you are having, what is it, Thursday? Fantastic Thursdays. We got a bevy of insanity to dive into. As I just said on Clay and Buck, uh, we're only at January 11th, and I feel like we've already had like 10 stories that are big stories uh, that have already come through, including chaos at ESPN, Chris Christie dropping out of the race, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick retiring, uh, uh, Fannie Willis sex scandal uh, in the Atlanta uh, story, uh, California trying to ban tackle football. I, like any one of these would ordinarily be a lead on Outkick the Show. And I feel like we got like nine things that we could otherwise uh, lead with today. But I think we have to start uh, with Nick Saban. Out of nowhere, yesterday uh, afternoon, deciding that he was going to leave Alabama. By the way, buckle up. We may have like an hour-long show before I get done with all these topics today. So uh, just just prepare. I promise I'm going to get to to everything, all the chaos. Um, what do we think about Nick Saban? Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. And this is the stat that, to me, epitomizes Nick Saban's greatness. And just follow me here. 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. I believe that is 14 straight years. It took me that long to say Nick Saban's team at some point in each of those seasons has been ranked number one in the country. That is a record that I don't believe will ever be equaled in the lifetime of anyone watching or listening to this program or anyone alive today. I don't think that anybody will have as dominant of a role as Nick Saban did uh, when it comes to his tenure as Alabama Crimson Tide coach. Uh, I also believe that many people, and we'll get into this in a moment, uh, are overrating the Alabama job based on how well Nick Saban did there. The coach matters way more than the program once you're in the top 15 or top 20. I have said for years that if Nick Saban had stayed at LSU, if he had been at Georgia, if he had been at Florida, if he had been at Tennessee, if he had been at any of the top five or six jobs in the SEC starting in 2007 when he took over at Alabama, I think that Nick Saban would have had the same level of success at those places. I think he would have had the same success at Ohio State probably. But in the SEC where he recruited 10 number one overall classes according to the rivals recruiting rankings, I believe it's 44 first-round draft picks. He had more first-round draft picks than he did losses in his entire tenure at Alabama. Another good stat for you, 
every player who stayed four years with Nick Saban won at least one national championship. And to me, the greatness of Saban is personified by the fact that he changed the entire way he coached. If you remember those first couple of title teams, they were very defense first, run the football, workmanlike, game manager style quarterbacks. And then he turned into a absolute throw the ball all over the field, let your offense make plays, I can win a game 50 to 40 if I need to style coach. That to me was the greatness of Nick Saban that he was able to evolve as the pace and play of the game around him evolved. And so I think he is unquestionably the greatest college football coach of all time. Now, there's a lot of questions about what's going to be the move that Alabama makes now. And I I think that in and of itself is a very fascinating question. Dan Lanning, and by the way, I can barely keep up. So I'm sure some of you uh, are, are chasing this as well. So it's possible the news is breaking while I am talking about all these subjects. I would just ask the team uh, back home uh, in, uh, in our studios if there is some major news story that breaks about Alabama or the Patriots or anything else. And I'll get to Bill Belichick in a moment. Uh, let me know during the course of the show because who knows what's going to happen. Dan Lanning, who was rumored to be one of the top candidates, has chosen not to leave Oregon. Uh, to me, there are a lot of names out there that could be worthy of, uh, worthy of contemplating. When, it, when this initial decision was made, the three or four names that came to mind, I tweeted about it, Lane Kiffin, uh, Dabo Sweeney, obviously, who played at Alabama, uh, now the Clemson head coach, uh, and Dan Lanning were the guys that immediately came to mind for me. I think you could add Kalen DeBoer. Uh, make Mike Norvell seems to be in the mix as well, Florida State's coach. Uh, regardless of who Alabama hires, it's likely there's going to be a big drop-off. And that's why I was saying the coach matters more than the program. Nobody is anywhere near the caliber of Nick Saban. The closest modern-day Nick Saban now is certainly Kirby Smart at Georgia. Uh, but when you look at this right now, there's a stat for you that a lot of people are not going to share. From 1980 until 2009, when Nick Saban won his first national championship at Alabama, Alabama won one national title in 1992. That was the end of Bear Bryant's tenure and the attempt to replace Bear Bryant. 30 years almost, Alabama won one national title. The Tide program in general for those 30 years was often very mediocre. And so what Nick Saban has done at Alabama is incredible, but I think it's about Nick Saban. I don't think it's about Alabama. And the standard that Nick Saban set is so high that whoever walks in to follow him is going to have incredible shoes to to fill. And let me just give you a little bit of an example of my own life. Uh, I had a really good morning sports talk radio show. Fox Sports Radio Nationwide, some of you listened. We led into Dan Patrick, and then from Dan Patrick, it went into Colin Cowherd. Uh, We were the most successful Fox Sports Radio morning show that they've ever had. Added a lot of affiliates. ESPN went through like four or five different uh, morning show competitors against us. Uh, I could have stayed in that job, and I could have done that job probably for the rest of my career. That's how successful it was. Dan Patrick, Colin Cowherd, they've been doing sports talk radio for a long time. 
I could have done a sports talk radio show nationwide for the next 20 years, 30 years if I wanted to. Uh, they came to me and they said, hey, would you be interested in replacing Rush Limbaugh? And my initial thought was the sports analogy. Usually you don't want to be the guy who replaces the guy. You want to be the guy who comes after Ron Zook. Ron Zook memorably took over for Steve Spurrier, fell flat on his face from Ron Zook. Florida went and they hired Urban Meyer. Boom, they had incredible success under Urban Meyer. And so there's a lot of talk out there about uh, how you decide whether to take a job or not, especially when you follow a legend. And I talked about this yesterday on the show. To me, the two biggest legends in radio are uh, Rush Limbaugh and also Howard Stern. Historically, in my lifetime, those are the two biggest radio stars. And, and so it was a challenge. Do I decide I want to do that? Do I not? Buck Sexton and I came in together. It's a little bit of a different show because you have a duo and the show has continued to be very successful. <clears throat> and I said yesterday, I've signed on, and they've got me now through 2024 and through 2025. I've really enjoyed the show. I like working with Buck. It's gone very well. They're making a lot of money. Uh, ratings are great. we got 500 affiliates. You can now stream all three hours, either at the Clay Travis Buck Sexton Show website or through Fox Nation. You can watch all three hours. I don't think it's that exciting to watch me sit and wear a headset and talk into a mic, but if you're interested in having the video version of that show, you can do it. So I know a little bit something that it's like to replace a legend because Rush Limbaugh is a legend and we stepped in and I think we've done a pretty good job after that. So I'm not someone who would say, oh, Nick Saban was so successful, I wouldn't take that uh, job. But I do think that the standard of success at Alabama is very unrealistic. For Nick Saban, if you won one championship in five years, that was an awful five years. For most of uh, American history as it pertains to college football programs, winning a championship every five years would be amazing. Michigan's the winningest college football program of all time. Partly that's a function of how many games they've played. But Michigan's won one undisputed title since 1948. If you were born in 1949 and you were a Michigan fan, you have seen prior to Monday night one half of a national title in your entire life as a Michigan fan. What is that, like 75 years? I mean, we're talking about a long time span, one and a half titles. From 1948 to or 1949 to now, Michigan has won one and a half national champions. Nick Saban won six at Alabama. So the level of success that he had is unlikely to be matched by anybody. And if I were betting, I would take Alabama returns to relative Alabama normalcy historically where they're just good. And good programs can win a title every 20 years or every 30 years. And so I think that's probably the most likely direction we go. And there's going to be a big drop-off. If Mike Norvell is the hire, Mike Norvell's been successful at Florida State, but it was only a couple of years ago that everybody at Florida State wanted to fire Mike Norvell. So how sustained is the success that he would have? It's a lot easier to win at Florida State than it is at Alabama. Competition's a lot harder in the SEC if he's the choice. I would go get Lane Kiffin. And I don't know what Lane Kiffin's contract is. 
I don't know what the buyout is at Ole Miss. I don't know the answer of any of that. But if I were making a decision right now and I were the athletic director in charge of Alabama, I would go get Lane Kiffin because I think given his success, he knows Tuscaloosa, he's well-liked, and he's been successful at Ole Miss. I don't think he would fall flat on his face. He would come in and he would win 10 games a year for the next seven or eight years, and that would do pretty well in a post-Saban era. That's how I think it would go. Now, you're also moving into a 12-team playoff era. Uh, combine that with the fact that the SEC is expanding and adding Texas and Oklahoma. The, the paradigm uh, of college football is shifting to a large degree. Nick Saban, greatest college football coach of all time, in my opinion. Uh, and the replacement for him is going to be hard. You could look at Kalen DeBoer uh, at Washington. Some people are making that argument. My concern there would be he's never recruited at a really high level, and frankly, he hasn't ever been under the microscope that would be required at Alabama. I talked about this with Lane Kiffin. Uh, Even having been at USC, Lane Kiffin had no idea what taking over an SEC program like Tennessee was really going to be like. And that's the part of this why I would want somebody familiar with the culture. You find yourself under a microscope in a way, frankly, that most coaches are not. I think this is one reason Lincoln Riley went to USC. I think Lincoln Riley in Norman, Oklahoma, everybody knew everything that Lincoln Riley did every moment of the day. In LA, Lincoln Riley is the 600th most famous person, if that, who lives in LA. Most people don't care about him. Lane Kiffin, when he was a USC head coach, I believe lived in Manhattan Beach. Lane Kiffin was like the 300th most famous person in Manhattan Beach on any given day. There are a ton of celebrities out there. There's lots of things that people are interested in other than football. You could go to any restaurant you want. You get a table, but people aren't obsessively paying attention to you because Leonardo DiCaprio might be at the same restaurant at the same time. Like, you are just further down the flowchart of celebrity You might not even be one of the thousand most famous people in Los Angeles. In Alabama, you're basically the president of the country, right? If Alabama were a standalone country, which is a funny, you know, concept in the first place, the president of the state of Alabama is basically the Alabama football coach. And so you're going to have a lot of eyeballs on you. And, uh, And so to me, I mentioned Sarkeesian earlier. I don't think he would leave Texas for Alabama. That's why, to me, Lane Kiffin, typically you would leave Ole Miss for Alabama. But Lane Kiffin's got a really good team returning. Maybe just as good at Ole Miss. He may be very comfortable in Oxford, which is why this thing may end up with Mike Norvell. And Alabama fans are not going to be very comfortable with the idea, I think, of some of the guys that might be in the mix to end up their head coach. They're going to have to go down the flowchart a little bit. D'Amico Ryans, I would call him, at Texas. Uh, maybe James Franklin at Penn State ends up in the mix. Um, I think you're going to get a head coach. I think it's unlikely you go coordinator because the job status is that high, the stature of the job. Uh, but, but I think this is going to be an incredibly entertaining story to follow and also an intriguing thought experiment in how much was Nick Saban and how much was Alabama. And that segues me into Bill Belichick which the long argument for Bill Belichick over the last 15 years, 10 years at least, was how much is Bill Belichick and how much is Tom Brady? And I think Bill Belichick's coaching status legend 
is far lower today than it would have been if he had retired when Tom Brady left New England. Because if Bill Belichick had retired on that day, yes, Brady goes on and wins a Super Bowl uh, in Tampa Bay, but the New England collapse, Belichick would have gotten credit for being too good for that to ever happen. Instead, Belichick has hung on, and a lot of you out there agree with me, which my position has been for a long time, that the quarterback matters more than the coach. And that is true in the NFL. If you gave me a choice, Patrick Mahomes or any coach in the NFL, that's an easy call. I would probably take any top 10 quarterback in the NFL over the best coach in the NFL. Because I think the quarterback talent is far more important than the coach talent. There are lots of people that can do a good job with a great quarterback. There's nobody who can do a great job with a bad quarterback. And so for me, Belichick, even winning six Super Bowls, not as impressive what he did at New England as what Nick Saban did at Alabama. If I was asked who is greater, I would say Nick Saban. And remember, NFL guy doesn't like this because they like to think that college coaches are all inferior. But Nick Saban with the Miami Dolphins went 2-2 two and two against Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots with Tom Brady as his quarterback. And Saban's quarterbacks were nowhere near as good. So there's a different world out there. And I've talked about this before on my shows, like a multiverse, where Nick Saban and the Miami Dolphins signed Drew Brees coming off that shoulder injury uh, with the Chargers. Instead, they signed Dante Culpepper. But if they had gone with Drew Brees, Nick Saban, I think, wins several Super Bowls with him. And I think there's probably a decent chance that Saban never comes back to college football. Because I think the frustration Saban saw in the NFL was he didn't have a great quarterback who couldn't win without him, and he knew he could go and recruit at a high level in college football, bring in five or six first-round draft picks basically every year, and develop those guys into an elite team. Uh, So to me... Saban more impressive than Belichick. We'll see what happens with the uh, New England Patriots job. Theoretically, they would be in the mix to draft a good young quarterback. Uh, Mac Jones, not the answer. There's a connection between Alabama and the Patriots. And with Mac Jones, not the answer, uh, then you would think, you would think that Drake May maybe is the answer there. But the first question is, is it Jared Mayo? Is it, is it Mike Vrabel? Who are the Patriots going to get to replace Bill Belichick? Um, so all of that out there is a, uh, is a big story, and we'll certainly be tracking and following this as we uh, move forward and contemplate who may find themselves in the mix for that Alabama job. Remember, all of the Alabama players have 30 days to enter the transfer portal, so I would imagine that Greg Byrne, the AD at Alabama, will try to move as quickly as he possibly can to put in the right coach. And remember, the last time Alabama had a head coaching search, the Nick Saban hire was a huge mess. Like, we haven't really seen the Alabama Crimson Tide fan base have to make uh, sit through a coaching search in a social media era. Remember, Saban said, I'm not going to be the head coach there. There were so many different twists and turns. You thought they were going to get Rich Rod, uh, but then Rich Rod got upset, decided not to come. I mean, Alabama's dynastic run after Mal Moore hired Nick Saban, almost did not happen. The one thing I can guarantee you is the biggest winner here is going to be Jimmy Sexton 
who is the agent for so many of these different uh, coaches out there because everybody's going to be clamoring. And keep in mind, we're going to see coaching dominoes move because there's probably a good chance that a current sitting head coach is going to get this job, which means their job is going to open up. And it's probably going to be a decent job because I don't think Alabama is going to hire somebody from that far down the flow chart as their next guy. Hey, Clay Travis right here. Outkick the show is dominating. We're continuing to roll. More coming back in a moment. But first, this. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Okay, let's talk about some of this drama that's going on right now inside of ESPN. This doesn't happen very often. I woke up this morning, uh, and there's a huge article on the front page of the New York Times uh, written by a guy named Kevin Draper, And it says, power shift jolts ESPN as a shouting star derides an executive. Uh, Pat McAfee show puts network in bind. And it's a huge story. Okay, so this is on the front page of the New York Times. Simultaneously, uh, the New York Post reported earlier today that they were planning in the television guide that Pat McAfee show was being bumped for SportsCenter because of the Bill Belichick um, uh, retirement, Robert Kraft, all of the, uh, the charade surrounding that. Charade's the wrong word. All of the uh, hoopla surrounding that decision, even though there didn't end up being very much. So let me just give you a background here. My show airs at the exact same time that Pat McAfee's show is on. So I have barely ever seen the Pat McAfee show at all. We had Pat McAfee on OutKick back in the day. Uh, He's a good guest. I don't know if we had him on more than once, maybe two or three times. I don't remember. Uh, And he was really good, uh, entertaining. I know him just a little bit. Uh, I did watch because I wanted to be informed. I went back and I watched the entire Aaron Rodgers interview on the Pat McAfee show on Tuesday, I think, right? That was the day he was on. I watched that on Tuesday because I wanted to make sure that I saw it for myself as, a poor, as opposed to read all of, the, uh, all of the, uh, the, the story surrounding it. That is the only time I've ever watched a full hour of the Pat McAfee show in his entire tenure on ESPN. And again, I watched it on tape 
uh, because my show is on the same time. So I don't tape shows and typically watch them. So I'm not claiming to be some expert on the show at all. What I do know is on Wednesday, that is yesterday, Pat McAfee came out. Uh, so I watched that interview. There was no discussion during the course of that Tuesday interview that this was going to be the last appearance that Aaron Rodgers was going to have on the Pat McAfee show uh, for the year. There was no like, hey, by, by the way, guys, we'll see you next year. Uh, this thing is over uh, for the year. He, he'll come back later. Uh, and they tried to say, well, he always leaves um, at the end of the regular season. That was the, the word that ESPN put out. But that's not actually the case. Um, because historically, I, OutKick guys did the research. I didn't even do it myself. Like last year, Aaron Rodgers was on for the Super Bowl. He's come on during the playoffs a lot. That makes sense. And um, there was a uh, story here, and I'm going to dive into this because I think this is important um, and, uh, and everything that surrounds it. The uh, New York Times reported this morning that on Wednesday, I'm reading from the New York Times front page, and I get it, by the way, New York Times, not exactly renowned for getting everything right, so I'm just reading this and trying to contextualize it for you. On Wednesday, Mr. McAfee said Mr. Rogers would not appear on the show for the rest of the NFL season. He'd been scheduled to appear through the playoffs, which start this weekend. Okay, so he's been on past years during and through the playoffs up to the Super Bowl. There was no announcement that Aaron Rodgers was no longer going to return. This came on the heels not only of Aaron Rodgers getting into it with Jimmy Kimmel last week, but then on Tuesday, Aaron Rodgers rightly called out people across the media for being wrong about COVID, for falsely labeling things conspiracy theories that were not conspiracy theories. Uh, And so I reacted this morning. I said, man, Aaron Rodgers now no longer on the Pat McAfee show. He had prior to that been on the show during the playoffs and the Super Bowl. And according to the New York Post, they were bumping Pat McAfee's show in favor of SportsCenter, which is what it said on the television guide and what the New York Post reported. Then while I'm on the air, Pat McAfee's show comes back on ESPN after the Belichick uh, short-lived press conference. And they brought on Aaron Rodgers out of nowhere. Yesterday, they announced Aaron Rodgers no longer going to be on the show for the rest of the year. And then, after saying he was no longer going to be on, they brought him back. And so, I sent out this tweet, and I'll read it for you guys. Um, And uh, so, after saying Aaron Rodgers was done for the year, he just showed back up today on McAfee's show. I'm telling you all, there's a behind-the-scenes war all caps, at ESPN right now. This is fascinating. Good for McAfee for putting him back on. Uh, And I stand by that. Uh, And then somebody who works on uh, McAfee's show, I I don't know this guy, um, I don't think I have any relationship with him, said, oh, wow, looks like Aaron Rodgers is on the Pat McAfee show right now. Looks like Clay Travis, he tagged me, and all the lunatics... Don't know, I'm going to curse here, so just FYI, shit about fuck about what's going on with the show. Now, I don't have anything against him. In fact, I sent Pat McAfee a message after the Aaron Rodgers, full disclosure, I sent Pat McAfee a message after his Aaron Rodgers interview on Tuesday, and I was like, dude, that was a really good interview. 
I thought you did a really good job with it. Let me know if I can help out uh, anyway with all the controversy. That's all I said. I don't think I've said anything negative about Pat McAfee at all. Again, I don't know him, and he seems like a pretty good dude. So this guy who works on the show evidently is angry at me for responding to this. And all I did, I said back, like, they said he was done on the show Wednesday for the season, and then he shows back up on Thursday on the show. That seems like a pretty big deal to me. If you told, if I told my audience tomorrow, hey, we are never putting Donald Trump on the show for the rest of uh, the campaign season, and then I had Donald Trump on the show the next day, you might be like, well, what happened? I think that's a fair question. And I don't know that it's been addressed again because I, I'm live on the air, so I'm, I don't know. All, all I'm doing is just reacting to what was tweeted to me. So something happened. Maybe, and I give him credit if it's true, maybe Pat McAfee was like, screw this. I'm not going to let anybody at ESPN dictate whether I can have a guy on a show or not. I'm going to put Aaron Rodgers on. Maybe he read this New York Times front page story that I just finished reading and said, man, they're still trying to sabotage me. I don't know. Open invite, Pat McAfee. He can come on the Clay and Buck show. Challenge is he's on the air at the same time we are. So, you know, he's got a show, I got a show. Um, I don't know what's going on. There's some sort of civil war going on at ESPN. But if I had to pick sides, I'm always going to be on the side of talent being able to do their own show the way they want to do it because that's what I want. In fact, the only thing I care about is that I can say exactly what I think on Clay Travis Buck Sexton show and that I can say exactly what I think on OutKick and that nobody out there is telling me you can't say that. By the way, same thing on Fox News. Obviously, I don't control the network. I don't control when I'm on. But I can honestly say no one at Fox has ever told me, hey, You can't say that. No one at iHeart, radio company that distributes my show, has ever said, you can't say that, or you can't have this guest, or we won't allow that. So, um, I don't know exactly what's going on. But I do know that all this is not adding up. If you tell me on Wednesday we're not going to have this guest on for the rest of the year, he's finished, and then on Thursday you put him on the air, something happened. If I told you tomorrow on Clay and Buck, hey, we're not going to have Donald Trump on for the rest of the campaign season, and then we had Donald Trump on the next day, it would be fair for you to say what happened. Or it could be Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or, uh, or, uh, or Vivek Ramaswamy, any of the four people that are still campaigning. If we had one of them on the day after I said we weren't going to have them on, their, their hits had finished for the season, it would be fair to ask what happened. And I also don't think it's a coincidence. Let me circle back around. It's possible Pat McAfee is just caught in the middle of all this, although he did call his boss, one of his bosses, a rat. I think what's going on, if you want my theory, so let me give you one theory I don't necessarily subscribe to. I think Pat McAfee could just be totally innocent, caught in the middle of the crossfire over Aaron Rodgers, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, all this stuff. He just had guests on. I have said for a long time, I believe this, no one should be responsible for what their guests say on television. I don't buy that. Or radio or anything else. Is the guest entertaining? Are the ratings good? 
Do they say interesting things? If the answer is yes, the host isn't responsible for what they say. The host should be able to put on a guest and have an entertaining show. That's my theory, whether it's like the wokest show on the planet or whether it is the most conservative show on the planet or whether it's nothing in between, right? I don't care. I don't think hosts should be considered responsible for what their uh, guests say. Like, remember back in the day? I've I've been consistent on this for a long time. Remember they fired Billy Bush on the Today Show for just having off-air conversation with Donald Trump when Donald Trump said, grab grab her by the pussy. Do you remember that? They fired Billy Bush. He wasn't able to stay on the Today Show because he didn't condemn enough what Trump said off the air and Trump got elected president of the United States. I'm not sure I can even remember a crazier time uh, in terms of the standard of how do you fire somebody because of something somebody else said that you didn't think they responded to off air significantly enough? I mean, that's a crazy standard. So clearly, if I think Billy Bush got screwed, which he did in that scenario, then I think Pat McAfee gets screwed for what Aaron Rodgers said. But what I think is going on here is I think this is a civil war inside of ESPN. And I think front page news kind of rips Pat McAfee, says that he's more powerful than the network and that he's not being held to the same rules and that talent matters more than the channel. By the way, I think that's true. Probably not going to surprise you that I think talent matters more than management. I'm talent, right? I believe that the people who talk on the air and give opinions and produce shows matter more than the people who manage those. Kind of like I'm saying the quarterback matters more than the coach. I think on-field talent, on-air talent, similarly matters more than the management structure. And I think people like me need the infrastructure of existing shows at big media companies less than we have in the past. Far more power today for someone like me than there was in 2004 when I started. And I think ESPN has embodied that. And I think Pat McAfee is an embodiment of that too. I think management, some of the management, is... Not happy with that. And I think Norby Williamson thinks that ESPN matters more than Pat McAfee. And so I think there's a war between talent and management. Now, the complicating factor is it sounds like Pat McAfee might have the ultimate trump card, which is a good relationship with Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, and Bert Magnus, who is the number three at uh, in the or number two at ESPN, and maybe Jimmy Pitaro too, right? Like the three people most powerful, and then Norby Williamson is somewhere there in the four range, and so Norby is feuding with Pat through the media. Pat has the three higher ranking people in his back pocket, and so Norby is trying to dictate policy. Pat pulls out his phone. And this is my theory. Pat pulls out his phone and says, we're getting ripped for the Aaron Rodgers decision. I'm going to put Aaron Rodgers back on. 
and Iger, Pataro, and Berg Magnus say, okay. He might have even said, look at what Clay Travis is saying. He's saying we bumped Aaron Rodgers because he was rightly calling out everybody for COVID. We need to put this on. By the way, New York Post is reporting my show's getting bounced, all this stuff. I don't know. That's my theory. That's reading the tea leaves of what's going on. But if you ask me, whose side am I on? I'm typically going to be on the side of talent. I'm going to be on the side of people who actually have to talk for a living as opposed to the people who manage the people who talk for a living. Because I think the only really successful show you can have is when you take handcuffs off of talent and say, go tell people what you think, be authentic, we're not restricting you. I think McAfee would probably agree with that, which is why my understanding is his show is a production deal with ESPN. ESPN doesn't own his show. That's my, that's my scenario in general of what I think is going on. But look, if they want to take shots at me, they can take shots at me. I mean, I, I don't really know what I've said that's negative. I'm open to being told what I said that's negative. Uh, and certainly I've said a lot of negative things about ESPN, and I think it's true. I think ESPN has decided you can have far left-wing opinions that are not representative of sports fans, like a dude who cuts his dick off or doesn't even bother to cut his dick off can become a women's champion. They promoted Leah Thomas as one of the best women's athletes of the year. And meanwhile, they get mad because Aaron Rodgers comes on and rightfully points out that the COVID shot didn't work and that... uh, and that all of the media criticism of him was unfounded and unfair. And Aaron Rodgers is not even some right-wing zealot. He wants RFK Jr. to be elected president of the United States. He's a relatively moderate guy. In that interview, he said he wasn't a MAGA guy, which is fine. You know, a lot of people don't uh, believe in in Donald Trump. They're not dyed-in-the-wool Trump supporters. We got listeners who vote in every possible direction under the sun. We got employees who vote that way. At OutKick. So that's my analysis of what's going on uh, with the Pat McAfee show. All right? By the way, I'm still getting barely started on some of these controversies. Meanwhile, yesterday, I'm trying to sit down and watch the debate and the Trump town hall, and then Stephen A. Smith decides to go off on Jason Whitlock out of nowhere. I, I didn't know they were, like, feuding on a level that we've rarely seen people go after ever before. Now, I know Jason. I like him. I see that he's super talented. I've done recently the Stephen A. Smith shows. Stephen A. Smith said nobody basically would show up to Jason Whitlock's funeral, insulted him, called him a bunch of uh, of lists, said he was worse than a white supremacist. Uh, That seems a little bit bit aggressive. (laughs) I know Jason well. Uh, I understand that Jason has had issues with people in the past. I'm not saying he's a perfect dude, but I don't think he's worse than the worst human beings on the planet, right? So, uh, and I think people would show up at his funeral. Uh, I, if Jason lives in Nashville. If Jason died, I would, I would show up at his funeral. Now, I don't know that I'd want to be the pallbearer. That's a big job. That's a joke about how much Jason weighs, which I think Jason would think is funny. But I think there are a lot of people who would be uh, uh, happy to, uh, to consider themselves Jason Whitlock's friends. And I, th- I thought that was over the top 
from Stephen A. Smith. Now, I don't know their whole history, um, and uh, Stephen A. and I have had uh, a good relationship here with the podcast. I don't know Stephen A. greatly. I think he's very talented on television. I've said this before. There are relatively few people who are supremely talented on television in the world of sports. I think Stephen A. is one of them. Uh, I think Jason is one of the best writers in sports that, that I've ever read. Uh, and obviously, he did a lot of work for OutKick. Um, and I think he writes and thinks in an incredibly interesting way. But I had no idea what was going on with that. I can't even keep up hardly with that feud because all the other craziness is going on. Uh, okay, so that's that take. Um, Fannie Willis. All right, let me finish with Fannie Willis because I've been talking for like six hours in a row now. Um, Fannie Willis. This is a big story that I think is being undercovered right now in the media at large. What do you mean, Clay? Okay, so let me give you just a, a, a big picture idea of what's going on. Fannie Willis is the Fulton County DA who brought charges against Donald Trump, alleging that his actions in relation to Georgia in the 2020 election were criminal. She's charged him with all these different uh, accusations. I think 19 people were initially charged alongside of Trump. It's a big, sprawling investigation in Georgia. Uh, Atlanta, for those of you who are not experts, Atlanta is in Fulton County. So basically, this is an Atlanta charge being brought uh, by Fulton County's DA, Fannie Willis. This week... Out of nowhere, because I didn't hear any, I've never heard any rumors about any of this stuff at all, there is a court filing arguing that Fannie Willis must be removed from the case, and these are allegations, so I'm just going to lay out the allegations, because she's having an affair with one of her subordinates who was married to another woman, that she broke up their marriage, and she hired this guy, this other attorney, and paid him $650,000 as an outside counsel. These are your tax dollars in Georgia. I'm assuming this is state of Georgia funds. That she then went on extravagant vacations with her boyfriend after breaking up his marriage, that she hired him, that she didn't go through the proper channels to hire him. And that as a result, she should not be allowed to continue as the head prosecutor in this case. And that potentially these charges should be tossed out because there's all different sorts of issues with them. On top of that, there are also allegations based on the billing records that have been filed and the White House visitor logs that Fannie Willis and the attorneys working with her were meeting with Joe Biden and members of his team to get all the details squared away to bring the charges against Donald Trump in sort of a grand lawfare conspiracy. This is a big deal. This is a huge story. Now, right now, a lot of these are allegations. Fannie Willis has also been, though, subpoenaed by the wife of her boyfriend now, alleging that she is responsible for breaking up the marriage between the man she hired and paid $650,000 and his wife. This is a mess. If this is all true, Fannie Willis would have to be removed from office. The entire Trump-Georgia prosecution could collapse. And 
and Fannie Willis could face her own charges. What I believe should happen is I think Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, at this point in time, based on all of the evidence that is alleged out there, I think he has to open an investigation into the Trump investigation. As I said on Clay and Buck, things are getting crazy when the lawyers decide that they have to have lawyers. And that's basically where we are right now in the Trump Atlanta investigation. So we got craziness everywhere. It's only January 11th. Buckle up. 2024 is going to be the craziest year any of you have ever seen. Uh, My name is Clay Travis. As always, DBAP. Unless you need to SBAP, this has been OutKick, the show.